0: Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Circe Podcast. Before we get into today's message, we want to remind you that if you'd like to get connected to what God is doing here in our local community, you can text the word Circe to 88000 for more information. There you can let us know how we can be praying for you this week, get plugged into a life group, you can give online, sign up for a serve team, and so much more. We also want to let you know that you can join us live every Sunday in person at 9 or 11 a.m. Or stream our 11 a.m. service live every week on Facebook and on YouTube. Finally, you can find today's message notes in the Bible app. Just tap the link in the podcast episode notes to follow along with us. Now let's get ready to hear a great message today. Awesome. Well, good morning, church. You guys doing all right this morning? Summertime is here. I don't know, summer's my favorite season. I know I don't love 105 degrees, but I love the summer, everything it brings. So hopefully summer has started well for y'all. A lot of family moments. or are starting to have family moments and getting outside and things like that. But like she said, my name is Amir. I'm one of the pastors at our Conway campus. And uh, my wife, Bethany, and I uh, get to be some of the pastors there. Actually, this month I hit seven years as a pastor and staff at our church, uh, which is really cool and, and kind of crazy that how, how fast time has gone by. And uh, we get to oversee an internship program. That's what we do at our Conway campus in addition to uh, helping with our weekend volunteers as well. So we love what we get to do and just honored to be a part of the team across our state. And this is my family. That's my wife, Bethany. Uh, We've been married next week is our anniversary for five years. So we're really excited about that. Come on, we made it. We know everything. That's a joke. We don't. We got a lot to learn. If y'all have marriage advice, come tell me after service. I'm ready. Uh, she is my best friend. She's obviously beautiful, and uh, she couldn't be here this morning because that little boy is at a nap probably right about now or in 20 minutes. He's taking a nap, and that is Dax. Dax is our son. Uh, in May, he turned two, and so he's my little brown boy, and uh, he has a come over. I like to call him Mr. Big because he looks like he's six, but he's really two. And when he just walks in, I say, hey, big, what are you doing? He just, he's talking and learning. I, I was just telling her, she, he's starting to learn his colors, and we're having a blast. Uh, but it's just really cool. And in and, and infancy, toddler life brings on some, some fun times from stories. I actually have a story. I didn't plan on telling, but then when it happened, you're like, I got to tell the church a story. So about three weeks ago yesterday, Saturday night, I was watching some NBA basketball, okay? Just watching basketball. It was, we just had dinner. My wife was getting my son ready to do a bath. And then we, you know, do bedtime, reading books, stuff like that, pray. And she was taking off his clothes, his diaper, and he ran out of the bathroom, little naked brown boy, you know, screaming, because that's what they do. Just, ah! And I was like, hey, naked boy, what are you doing? And I was just watching TV, and he just said, hi, Daddo. He calls me Daddo. He said, hi, Daddo. I said, hey, bub." And he just stopped standing right there, and he just started watching basketball with me. And I was like, well, this is a weird but cool moment, you know? And so we're just watching TV, and I kid you not, all of a sudden, I started to feel a warm sensation on my left toe. That one right there. And I, I looked over, and, I, and I'm, I have a booming voice. I said, Dex no. And he just tightened, stopped peeing. He was peeing. If you're wondering what that warm sensation was, he was peeing. And, I, and that has never happened before, even like in the house. And I was like, Dex no. I said, Bubba, we don't pee in the living room. We pee. He's not, he's not potty trained yet. So dad, dad, the first thing I said is we pee in the bath. That's where we pee. And my wife comes right in. She's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, he was just kind of peeing on my toe. And she said, babe, why did you tell him we pee in the bath? I was like, I don't, I don't know. I got nervous. It was just the first thing that came out. Because sometimes when you put a toddler in the bath, they just start peeing, you know? So that's a glimpse of parenting uh, in our life. And now I tell people for the rest of my life, that toe has been peed on in Jesus' name. You know, it happened. And, it's a, and I survived. I survived. But... That's real life, you know? I cannot make, make those things up, but we, we love being parents. Uh, it's an honor, and I'm just excited to be here. I love Pastor Kevin and Robbie a lot. They're on some, they're on vacay, getting some time of rest, so just pray for them, your pastors this week. Just It's good that our, our pastors rest, amen, and, and get some Sabbath time, family time. But I just look up to Kevin a lot in a lot of ways. He actually called me on Friday and just checked on me. He didn't really even talk about me speaking on Sunday. He just checked on me and stuff like that, even a pastor in Conway. So just thankful for him. And I believe they're a blessing to you guys. But as we jump into the Word, I do want to preface to say this message that I'm going to encourage you with, hopefully uh, this weekend, is just a little different than a, than a message that's came to my heart before. I, I don't speak too often. I, I kind of get to help out. I'm just an associate pastor in Conway. But uh, this is something more that was something that's been in my heart since the fall, and I never thought I would speak it. Or sometimes as pastors, I think we have opportunities, and we're like, what if I could teach or encourage you with this? It was just more like something I was navigating in my life. I was trying to figure out within my own heart, and then about two months ago, our pastors in Conway, Pastor Hunter, said, hey, I would like you to speak this summer. Is there something on your heart? Is there something you've been learning? And I was like, well, <laughs> yes, but I didn't know. So this weekend, I want to talk to you about unity in the body of Christ, and I got to speak this message a month ago in Conway, and even specifically, I want you to think about throughout this message is how do we have unity in times of division? Because what we're going to see here in a second in John 17 in the Bible, this is something actually Jesus prayed for us. And wanted for us. And when we get to the scripture, you're going to see the significance and how can we apply that to today in a time that feels really divisive, right? But let me say this. I know you know this, but um, it's at times really hard to be united in 2021. And, and let, me, let me say it with a joke. So like, for example, for me, I get on Facebook and uh, about 70% of my Facebook friends have became experts in infectious disease. I don't know about you. They have no education in infectious disease. They are not a doctor in a- infectious disease. But in the last two years, they can tell you everything you need to know about masks, about the virus, about vaccines, on both sides of the spectrum. This is not, they'll tell you when you're wrong and they're right. So I get on Facebook and I'm like, man, I am super encouraged and I feel united to some of my friends because they're just telling me that I'm wrong, you know, or doing something wrong or I should be doing something and I'm like, ah, you know. It's hard, or maybe in the last month, you went to get gas one day, and there was somewhat of a gas crisis that never hit Arkansas, and you saw this. Uh, I actually was coming through Circe and I got this picture of Pastor Kevin right here, pumping gas. <laughs> That's why it's so foggy. I'm just kidding, it's a Google picture. But this is a man, somewhere in America. Those are Home Depot buckets, guys. Last time I went to Home, Deco, home Depot, Home Depot buckets don't have lids. <laughs> this dude drove, drove home with like eight full gasoline buckets and I don't know how that didn't get all over his car. And uh, but imagine, you know, sometimes when you get to the gas station and you're kind of in a rush, and then sometimes like every one of the places you get gas is full. So imagine if you're just standing behind this gentleman, and after barrel number four and barrel number six and barrel number eight, your eyes starts to twitch, and you're like, "Lord, I need to go. I do not feel united to this man right now." I'm I'm joking, obviously. That is a real picture though. But I am joking. Uh, we are we can. I think it would be uh, honest to say we're living in some divisive times in our country, but we can also see this in our communities in the state of Arkansas. A lot of, a lot of factors here. It's, it's not just one thing. Sure, there's implications from the pandemic. Sure, there's things within race. Sure, during the political season, even after, there can be times of division. Um, and it's hard. And I'll even say this, which is kind of sad to say. I think some people on the outside looking into Christianity, they would say, you guys are the most divided faith group in the world. You have countless denominations, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with denominations, but then some denominations have splits and have another split and have another split. So I wonder if sometimes other world religions or non-believers are looking at and saying, you guys are the united ones when there's hundreds of denominations. I'm supposed to follow the same guy. You guys can't get on the same page. You know, that's hard sometimes. But let me say this as one of your pastors, and just to encourage you, this is not gonna be the first time that we're gonna live in times of division where we need unity, I remember when I was a kid, there was things that are going on in our country. There was things that are going in my city, my community that were tense and had times. And, and let me encourage you, there's gonna be times in the future. Sure, I think where we are with media and social media, maybe it makes it a little harder than my parents' generation. But I'm just saying, as the body of Christ, we have done it before. We have been united before, and I think we can be united now and in the future. Amen. I think this is something that Jesus wants from us, and it's not just a 2021 thing, but there's gonna be times when we get older that it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard to be united, and I think it's something we wanna get right now. Amen. Let me say two two prefaces before I get into the word. One, I am not an expert on unity. I'm not coming here like I have it all figured out, and I can't wait to tell you. No, I've I've failed at this many times. But I have grown a, a passion in my heart. Logan, one of our interns, is with me. Like I just talk about it often. It grieves my heart often to see where people are at, where the body of Christ is at. And I just want to go within the Scripture to see what can the Word of God encourage us. The second thing we got to know about unity is this. Unity is not uniformity. Unity, by Google definition, is united or joined together. Uniformity is uniform identical, same. And oftentimes when we talk about unity, there's this, there's this thought from some people that say, hey, as believers, we got to think the same, talk the same, act the same. When really, if we look within scriptures, that's not very accurate. We actually see a, a group of people that are different in many ways. Their, their gifts are different. Their ages are different. Their races are different. And they choose to come together under the banner of Jesus Christ. They choose that despite their differences, we're going to be united as the body of Christ. Amen. It's kind of like those of you that are parents and you have multiple kids. You don't want your kids to be uniform. You don't want them all to be the same, look the same, talk the same, act the same. No, you want them to be unique how God's made them, but you hope that they fight for unity as a family unit. Amen. And that's the same heart. So when we talk about unity, it's not uniformity. This is not a cookie cutter Christianity. Now, obviously, we're all uh, under the authority of God's Word and Jesus, but we're going to be different. And that's okay. We can still come together as the body of Christ. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John 17 uh, or you have your phone. It'll be on the screen shortly. We're going to be in John 17, verse 20. And I just want to read you three verses that Jesus prayed for us, unpack it, and then we're going to get into some points. But I want to tell you the context of what's going on here in John. From John 13 to John 17, Jesus is in this room uh, with his disciples the night before he was going to die. And because he's Jesus, he knew that. So there's so many significant things that happen in these four chapters. In John 13, he washes the disciples' feet. In John 14, it talks about the Last Supper, and John actually just mentions it briefly in the other Gospels that gives more of an account. Then in John, the next couple of chapters in John, he starts to teach them things he has not taught them before. And it's interesting because it seems like Jesus waited till that last night to teach very important things. He introduces the Holy Spirit in those chapters. He starts to tell them, it's better that I go, I'm going to send the promise from God. And they're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? And then we come to John 17 where he prays over them. And let me, let me put this on your court. What if, this might be weird, but what if we knew the night before we were gonna die, and we got to spend time, we got to we got to get around the dinner table, our family and best friends, and you knew you had one day to live. What would you say to them? What would you pray over them? That's exactly where we're at in John 17. Jesus is just, I don't know why he waited till this night to say these things and to pray these things. And I just think that's really important to understand the context of that. So let's read John 17, starting verse 20. He says this My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may know that, believe that you have sent me. Verse 22. I have given them your glory that you have given me, that they may be one, just as you and I are one. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. And here's the promise. So then the world will know, Father, that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. So a couple things I want to point out in the scripture. First, he says, my prayer is for those who will believe in my message to me. So right before this, the four verses before this, he prays over the physical disciples in that room. Well, oftentimes in Scripture, we can learn something from Jesus or we can learn something in the Old Testament and say, how do we apply that to my life, right? What do we learn from that? But this Scripture, Jesus is literally praying for us. He's praying for anyone who's called on the name of Jesus before our lifetime. He's he's praying for anyone who's going to call on the name of Jesus after our lifetime. Aren't you thankful for the thousands upon millions of people since Jesus said that they have called upon the name of Jesus for their Savior and Lord? It's amazing. But he's speaking to us. It's just powerful note. He says this, though, goes on. He says, that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you and I, you and me, and I and you. This word one in the Greek is the word heis. You can say it with a little Greek accent if you want to. A Heis, okay? This word has two definitions that complement each other. It means to be opposed to a separation of parts and to be united more closely. So what Jesus is saying, and actually when he says one multiple times and united, it's that same word heis. He says the same word four times in three verses. What Jesus is saying is, my prayer is that my believers would be united more closely, that they would oppose division, that they would fight to stay together as the body of Christ. And then he takes it a step further. He says, I pray they'd be one just as you and I are one, Father. Meaning, he's saying, I want y'all's unity to resemble the relation between me and the Father and the Holy Spirit. I want y'all's unity to resemble the Trinity. Think how Jesus would often take time to spend with the Father. He wanted to do the Father's will. Him and the Father were inseparable. He's saying, I want y'all's unity to resemble ours. So guys, this is more than just us getting along as believers. This is like we'd be a family as the body of Christ. He goes on to say, I'd given them glory that you've given me. When you study this, one thing that they believe is what Jesus is speaking to is the glory that he would give on the cross, That Jesus was gonna lay his life down, and as us followers of Jesus, that we have been forgiven by God. He's loved us by laying his life down. He sent us his spirit. He's, He's grafted us into this family. We've been reconciled with God. That's the glory of God shown between us. Well, we all share that. And what's really cool is when it comes to unity, it's so easy to get fixated on our differences. It's so easy to get fixated on, well, I'm not like them, or I don't think like them, or we're from a different background. But really, sometimes, guys, the only thing you're going to have in common with someone in this room or someone in the city in your life is that they are followers of Jesus like you. But that's got to be a big commonality, that we have all trusted in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. We have been given his glory as sons and daughters. That should unify us. Amen? And then he finishes by saying this, Then the world will know you have sent me, and I have loved them, as the Father has loved me. So, what Jesus is saying is when we operate in unity, the world will know that the Father sent Jesus for them and loves them. But if we look at that conversely, we can think when we don't operate in unity, it's as if the message we could send is that Jesus was not sent for them and Jesus doesn't love them. That's a sobering thought. I wrote it down this way Jesus' believability could be based off our unity. The outside world could believe, one of the things that people could believe in Jesus is based off our unity as the body of Christ. There's some implications there. So can we really do this? Can we be united? I think so. Or Jesus would have never prayed this over us. Think, guys, he could have prayed anything. And that's what he prayed over us the night before. And then think of that in 2021. Think of the implications for that. So I wanna give you three points on how we can have unity in the body of Christ. But let me say this. I wrote down this in our notes. You could also use these three things in this prayer from Jesus in your family. There's gonna be times, guys, when there's tension in our home. There's tension in our extended family and we gotta fight for unity with our blood biological family, amen? So I want you to let the Lord speak to you in that regard as well. Number one, we gotta renew how we see people. We're talking about how do we have unity in times of division. We gotta renew how we see people. I don't know about you, but I think it's so easy for me to get caught up in everything that's going on or the things that are going on in our city or my friend group or what I see on the news. It's like I start to see people differently. People that maybe don't believe what I believe or people that are different than me. They are raised different than me or they speak about different things than me. But what's hard is if we keep going down that path, I think in our fleshly nature, we can start seeing people as less than. We can start getting to a place where they're our enemy, and one of our roles as the body of Christ is maybe to encourage people and to love people. That love comes with truth and grace, but then we shift it and we, we think that one of our roles is just to critique people. And I think when we start to see people one way, we can even get so far down the path that we start to hate people, whether it's a group of people or an individual, because we start to see them in a different way. With that being said, I think we got to remember to see people like God sees them. In Genesis, Scripture says that God made humans in his image. So if we think of that practically, everyone you and I put our eyes on in our life is made in the image of God. Everyone. And we have to remember that. Oftentimes, Pastor Rick's pastor has taught that people aren't our enemy, that we have to remember as believers, Ephesians 6 tells us there's a spiritual war going on. And sometimes it's not the person answering me, but maybe what's going on behind the scenes in their life or what they've been taught or what they believe. Or the first value of our church is we believe in the value of a soul. But sometimes I can make the mistake of I want to prove a point so bad, I start to minimalize the value of someone. And, and this is just how I see them. It takes me off track. So I want to share with a verse with you in Ephesians 4. Every one of my points, I'm going to have a verse from Ephesians 4 because this week I challenge you to read it. That chapter is full of just stuff talking about unity in the body of Christ. This is what 422 says, talking about renewing the way we see people. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. This is before we knew the Lord, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. This is a renewing the Bible talks about. To put on the new self created to be like a God in true righteousness and holiness. We're renewing our mind. Romans 12, we're renewing things about this. Let me tell you a story. A couple of years ago, I, it was kind of like this. I had the opportunity to speak at one of our campuses to help one of our pastors who's out of town. And my wife, Bethany, was with me. My wife, Bethany, is very sweet, gets along with everyone. I like to joke, if we have 10 arguments in marriage, I cause all 10. She would never cause. She's the best. I'm not, I got to do better. Okay. So we were like, we were at the front row right here. And it was just like what happened this morning. There was a countdown before worship. And I looked to my left. It would have been here in the building. And I saw one of our best friend's moms. And I was like, wow, but she lives in that town. But I didn't say that for some reason. I said, oh, look who it is. And Beth's like, oh, I'm going to go say hi to her. So Beth walks down. Well, Beth walks up to her. And for some reason, I don't know why, maybe the lights were down. She thought she was someone else. So my sweet wife walks up there and says, "Hey, they're talking to me." she goes, "Hey, we are so glad your son has got connected to our college ministry. We are loving getting to know him." And the woman looks at my wife and says, "I don't have a son. I'm Sydney's mom." And Sydney's one of my wife's really close friends from college, and she was like, And then like the countdown ended, the drums of worship started, and she just said bye and walked back. And my wife walked down back to her chair like this with her head down. And I thought like the woman shared like something hard was going on in her life. I said, Beth, what's wrong? She said, Babe, I am mortified. I said, What happened? She said, I just thought she was so I thought she was someone completely else, and I just totally embarrassed myself. And that's so-and-so's mom. And it's like I just saw her the wrong way, and I'm so embarrassed. And it was like in that moment, the moment that woman said, I'm, I don't have a son. It's like Beth's eyes were revealed. You have the wrong person. And she was a little embarrassed. And I laughed, which is not good because I'm like, you never make a mistake. This is awesome. Guys, don't do that. That's bad marriage advice. You know, but I laughed in the moment. But I think some of us, and I've had this moment many times the last eight months, I feel like the Lord needs to have a moment like that with us. where It's like the way we're seeing someone, God's like, hey, you're looking at them the wrong way. I think you've been seeing them the wrong way. Even if you disagree with them, even if it's hard, hey, I need you to renew the way you see them or that group of people or people that are different than you. How do we do that? With all these points, I want to give you some application. Obviously, I think it starts with the Lord. If we're open to God and the Spirit of God revealing those things to us, we just be on, Hey, God, will you forgive me for seeing these people the wrong way? Or maybe this family member or maybe this coworker. Lord, help me with that. I think often we can pray for the heart of Christ. Jesus would come, Scripture says oftentimes he would get in a new place with crowds, and the first thing he would always say is Jesus had compassion on them. These are people that were maybe walking in sin. These are people that didn't know the Word of God, or these are people that were hurting and and needed healing, and his first instinct was to have compassion. Can we pray, God, give me a heart of compassion for people? You can still stand on your convictions and have a heart of compassion for people. That's what we get. It's only from God who can give us something like that. Then we can be an example to the outside world. Then we can fight for unity as believers. So the first thing I would encourage us is can we renew the way we see people? It's going to help us stand in unity. The second point, if you're taking notes, is to maintain a pure heart. To maintain a pure heart. This is how we have unity in times of division. I don't know if you knew, but your heart requires maintenance. Maintenance. And yes, physically, we got to be healthy to preserve our heart, but I'm even talking emotionally. Even you fellows in this room, (laughs) our heart requires maintenance, kind of like a car. Literally yesterday, I went and got my oil changed. There's things we can do in our car that are proactive, that are going to help our car have longevity. But there's sometimes when our car just acts up, something breaks. How many of y'all love when your car breaks down? Nobody. It's terrible. A tire goes out, something like that, that you have to draw attention to your car immediately, And I think in the same way during times of division when we're trying to fight unity, we got to maintain a pure heart, whether it's proactively or things come up. One of the hardest things about times of division to me is we're going to get offended, challenged, discouraged, angry, frustrated, you name it. It's kind of part of sometimes living in our culture. But my question for you today is, hey, when that happens, what do you do? Do you suppress it? I don't want to think about that, it's no big deal, I'm really frustrated, but it'll be fine. Do you fuel it? Some of us get angry and we pour gasoline on that anger and we just fuel it up and we get more mad, we're more, more hurt, or more discouraged. We just act like it's no big deal, we just try to keep going on with life. Because oftentimes we can't control how we get to that place, but we can control if we stay there emotionally. And what I've seen in my life, when I'm not intentional to maintain a pure heart, I will start to act different. I will start to live different. I'll start to treat people different. I'll start to be harder on myself. I'll start to get defensive and bitter towards people. I'll start to be slower to give grace. I'll be slower to forgive someone. I'll hold on to offense because my heart's getting to a place where I'm mad or I'm frustrated or whatever it is. This is why Proverbs 4, verse 23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything flows from it. One translation says it's a wellspring of life. Back to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You got to remember this verse does not say, do not be angry. The verse says, in your anger, do not sin. The Lord, I have a mental health background. The Lord gave you emotions, he wired you with emotions. You're going to feel angry. You're going to feel stress. You're going to feel discouraged. You're going to feel challenged. But it's what we do when we feel those emotions. Are we giving the enemy a foothold? Are we giving them an opportunity to divide us more when we feel some kind of way? But I know what some of you are thinking right now. Some of y'all are thinking, but Amir, the people who frustrate me are dumb. <laughs> they say dumb things. That's why I get mad. <laughs> they say dumb things. Maybe so, but how can you maintain a pure heart? But Amir, they identify with a different political party than me. How can they believe God and believe those things? I I don't know. I'm sure both sides could say that. But how can you maintain a pure heart? But Amir, they hurt me. What am I supposed to do? There's hurt in this room. I know there is. I'm not trying to minimize your hurt. And if someone said that, I am so sorry. And I know the Lord wants to walk alongside you. People who love you want to walk alongside you. But despite or even in line with that hurt, what can you do to maintain a pure heart, to get back to a pure heart? Because you gotta remember, we are responsible for keeping our hearts pure. No one else's. Sure, others can help us, but that responsibility falls on us. And what we see is when we don't keep our heart pure, it's so easy to walk in division or to accept division. So how do we do that? One way that our pastors have taught me is to maintain a short account. And what that simply means is when we have times where we feel some kind of way, we're quick to address it. We try to be intentional rather than, you know, you remember Jenga blocks? If you stack Jenga blocks, rather than letting them stack and stack and stack and stack and stack. And then we kind of live at this place of all these things inside of us. And we we have life too. We have stress. We have responsibility. All these things build up. And then what tends to happen if this has ever happened to you? One really small block comes on that's really insignificant and it hits on the top block and then we blow up on people. I blow up on someone I love. I act kind of weird to a coworker and they're like, wow, what's wrong with you? Well, it's really because I didn't maintain a short account. I need to be quick and intentional with the Lord and with people around me to try to maintain a pure heart. Some examples how this could play out. Maybe it's confessing to God how you've mistreated someone. Maybe it's remembering how much we have been forgiven. Maybe it's processing with someone who's trusted in your life, a safe person, just to be honest with, hey, I need help with this this has been really hard for me. Maybe it's forgiving someone. Maybe it's having a conversation towards reconciliation. There's a good chance that someone in this room, or many of y'all, there's someone close to you in the relationship is not in a good place. Maybe it's a family member, someone who used to be a best friend. And what y'all need to do is probably have a conversation. But you're going to have to do some heart work to get there, right? It's hard. Don't get me wrong, but I think when we try and do our best to maintain a pure heart with the Lord's help, it's going to help us remain united. It's going to help us desire to be united, let alone to remain in unity. Number three, last point, we got to be wise with our words. You knew it was coming. We got to be wise with our words. We're going to renew how we see people, maintain a pure heart, and now we're going to talk about our words. I think the easiest and fastest way to lose unity is with our words. And uh, something that's just in my line of sight that I've seen, that's been really discouraging. Whether it's in person or I'm in the gym or on social media, and remember guys, I'm gonna say four times, let me say it right now for four times at this point, I'm not perfect at this. I've made countless mistakes, that's why I said this in the beginning. But it's been so discouraging to watch how Christians speak to other Christians, or to non-believers we can disrespect, insult, speak in absolutes, even hate people at times. It's just heartbreaking. And uh, I understand this is really hard, but it's like there's no filter anymore in some ways. There's no wisdom sometimes in the body of Christ. And as, as Christ followers, the Scripture says, God says that we should be holy as he is holy. We just need to be set apart. We need to be different. God doesn't want us to always be perfect at it. I just think he wants us to live in a different way, especially during these hard times. And let me coach you on something that you may not realize is happening. Because there was a time in my life where I didn't really care. I wanted to share my opinion. I'm going to share my opinion, even if I disagreed, even if I thought they were wrong and I was right. But if you're someone who has a tendency to do that, and sometimes it's right to share your opinion, but how you do it or the timing is where you need wisdom. But sometimes when we're just quick to share our opinion or quick, quick to, with our words, let it get away ourselves, what what's going to happen is this. Let me coach you. You're going to lose influence with people. And then when you want to speak into a life or when you want to speak about something important or you want to speak in general, it's like their ears are going to be shut off to you. Because we just kind of said what we want to be for. Or we said things that maybe were true, but we said it in a hurtful way. Or we just relentlessly, passive-aggressively posted stuff. Talking to someone, but never saying their name. And then when we want to speak to them, we realize we don't have influence with them anymore. Because the way we got away with our words, Ephesians 4.29, I'm back to Ephesians 4. I used to have this verse on a note card next to my bed the first year I was a pastor. Not because I wasn't mean to college students, but I, just, I was still not wise with my words. So I promise I'm trying to get this right with you guys. Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That's hard. That it may benefit those who listen. One translator, or this word unwholesome in the Greek translated into rotten. <laughs> Don't let any rotten words out of your mouth. That's hard. 2 Timothy 2.23. This is a spicy verse. I'm going to warn y'all. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. <laughs> That's the Bible. Because, you know, they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. That is hard, Lord. Able to teach, not resentful. There is a lot of foolish arguments out there. If you're bored one day and you want to see a foolish argument, pick your favorite social media platform. Type in any hot topic and click a comment section. I'm not saying the hot topic is foolish. I'm saying you will see people speak to each other, believers or not, in ways that are appalling that I think my parents' generation, those who are older than me would say, you would never say that to someone's face. <laughs> it's, a, it's like an online dumpster fire. You're like, can't look away, but you know you shouldn't look at it. It's so bad. And it's sad if you, if you really think about it, but this is something I'm, I'm noticing and I think in our culture within the body of Christ now, I, I think we have gotten to a place where we're way more comfortable or we'd rather make comments about people than have conversations. We'd rather make comments. Did you hear about so-and-so? Can you believe they posted that? Why haven't they said anything about this? How can you be a Christian and believe blank? Comment. We're at work. Comment. Did you see that? Comment about people. Comment. For sure online now. Comment. Comment. Wow, they said something real bold. I don't even know who that is. Reshare. Reshare. That'll get my point across. It's hard when really if something is that hard for us or if we want to advocate something or we want to understand someone's perspective, we probably should be having conversations with them. And uh, we might learn something. But also when I was preparing for this message, I feel, I feel like the Lord reminded me of something for my generation. Oftentimes if we're willing to have a conversation, we're going to bring back this, this, this uh, life skill that my parents' generation used to have that I, my generation, the younger generation doesn't do great. It's this thing called agreeing and disagreeing. Now, if you disagree, you don't love me, you're out of my life. Generally speaking, that's what culture says. No, my dad would disagree with our next door neighbor about big things, but they would still hang out every Friday and laugh and work on each other's car and had a relationship. And my generation, I think has lost that, especially within the body of Christ. My mentors told me this, Amir, there's not one person on God's green earth you're gonna agree with 100%. Maybe your spouse is gonna be close. So what is the expectation? We gotta learn we're gonna disagree with people. But that doesn't mean we write them off or or we disrespect or demean them. And I'm not, maybe I'm not speaking to anyone today, but it's just something I see in our culture and it's sad. Man, it's sad. So what can we do? Pastor Rick, our lead pastor, spoke a sermon once about our words. And he said, hey, three words that will help you with your words. And when I was preparing for this, I felt, I just wanted to share them with you because they've helped me so much. He said those three words were pause, ponder, and pray. Pause, ponder, pray. Pause, Take a deep breath. (laughs) Regulate your emotions like we talked about last point. Whether it's you're at work and someone really frustrates you, which is real life sadly. You see something online, take a deep breath. Ponder, think about what you might wanna say. What do I wanna say? Is this gonna build someone up or tear them down? Is this gonna work towards unity or division? Is this the right time? Am I gonna say this the right way? It takes intentionality. Just think about it and then pray, God, this is hard. God, would you give me wisdom? God, I want to stand for your name, but I don't know how. And let me say this really boldly. I am not saying that we don't stand on the word of God. I'm not saying we don't stand for our convictions. I'm more saying, do you bulldoze people along the way? Or we, or on the other side, we get so scared to stand for the Lord, we don't even know what to say. So we ask God, God, help us. We pray. Help us, Lord, with our words, Be life giving, promoting unity. And I'll close with this. What I've noticed in the last year and a half, and there's been a lot of things that are going on, things that we never thought would happen, but happen. I've seen a lot of believers in my life, or I went to college with, walk away from the Lord. And I don't know all the reasons. I've seen a lot of non believers say, Why would I want to be a part of the church? And, um, the reality we have to remember is, man, without Jesus, we believe that people are spiritually dead, that they are separated from God. And that, that's not to say it. it's more that God so loved us, he sent Jesus, right? But I think what they, where the enemy is, the picture I get sometimes is the enemy somewhere thinking, I can't defeat y'all, but I'll divide y'all. Yeah, let me use this global pandemic. I'll divide y'all. This is great. They won't talk to each other more. This is great. Let me just divide the body, divide the body. Is this Can we say people or our people's salvation or are people's relationship with God our responsibility? No. But if we take heed of what Jesus said in John 17, our unity does play a part. It's an opportunity. We're going to get it wrong, but I believe oftentimes if we strive for it, we can get it right. And what happens is this, the promise from Jesus. When we do our best, man, in the power of God, in the Holy Spirit, fight for unity in the body of Christ. Jesus said, hey, that world will know that the Father sent me, and the world will know that I love them because of your and my unity. It's just a powerful, powerful opportunity. So I pray that's something we can do this summer and really moving forward in times of division like we're in today. Will you bow your heads? I just want to pray for you all before we go back into worship.